This is episode number 17 with data engineer Colin Sloss. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hello and welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today we've got a very interesting guest. Colin, who joined us today, is a database expert. Colin works for a company called Carrot Insights. And by the way, if you're in Canada, then listen up, because Carrot Insights is the company behind Carrot Rewards, which is a Canadian app that rewards users for healthy behavior by giving them points or miles from existing loyalty programs when they meet their daily step goal or just simply take a health quiz. So if you're somewhere in Canada and you like to be healthy, then definitely check them out. Once again, the app is called Carrot Rewards. What we'll be talking about today with Colin is the different ways that databases are used, the different ways that databases are structured, and just basically how databases work. Because as data scientists, we work with data all the time. That's basically what we do. But at the same time, we rarely stop to think about where that data is coming from, how it's stored, uh, what processes govern that data, and how the databases are structured from which that data is coming from. So this episode serves as a window into the world of databases, and it will help you better understand what's going on in the background. So for example, uh, you'll learn about what a data pipeline is, you'll learn about partitioning, you'll learn about different processes, you'll learn how uh, Python is used in databases, you'll learn about the different types of databases that exist, you'll even learn about the different roles of the people that govern these databases. For instance, uh, you'll find out the difference between a database administrator, architect, engineer, and developer, and also a database master as Colin calls them. So there's a lot of uh, different valuable insights just so that you can build a better picture of what databases are. And also, Colin will share his own journey. So you'll see how Colin's career actually started in programming. And as he got to learn more about databases, he got so fascinated with them that he decided to steer his career into the realm of databases and you'll see how he went about that and how he um, slowly shifted into the world of databases and exactly why he did that. So I can't wait for you to check out this episode. Let's get started. And without further ado, I bring to you Colin Sloss, the data engineer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I have Colin Sloss here with me. Hello, Colin. Uh, we're on the call and you're in Toronto. Is that right? That's right. Awesome. How's the weather there in Toronto? It's good. It's uh, just started snowing and uh, it's been a pretty warm fall, but now we're getting into winter season. <laughs> that is so, so cool. So I'm sitting in Brisbane, for those of you who don't know, in Australia, and it's just starting to heat up for summer. It's like 31 degrees outside, barely standable out there. And I was in uh, Montreal in uh, Canada just earlier uh, this year, and it was also summer. and there they told me that you get like four months of summer and then you get eight months of snow all over the place. Is that the same thing in Toronto? Uh, well, it's similar, but right now every year is totally different. You know, sometimes we get like six, seven months of crazy cold and, and uh, ice and snow and other, other winters, it's just maybe one month. So last, last winter was pretty mild and I think this one might be too. Wow. Okay. Do you, do you think that has something to do with the global warming? What's that? <laughs> you haven't heard of it that, in Canada? Hoax? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Like the whole weather system here is kind of weird. We have what's called the Great Lake Effect. Oh. Um, Great Lakes Effect. So there's a whole weather system that lives over our Great Lakes that just uh, seems to do what it, what, what it wants. It's very temperamental. That's very but interesting. It's what, it, it's what leads to us having very snowy and cold winters where not necessarily everyone on, on the same uh, latitude or longitude, whichever it is, uh, would have. 
Oh, that's that's really cool. I didn't uh, think of it that way. Um, yeah, I would love to talk more about the weather effects and uh, climate change. I think we could have a great discussion about that, but I don't think our listeners would appreciate it. So I'll move on to who Colin is. So Colin is a data engineer and he's got so much experience with databases. So today we're going to be drilling into databases and how they're used for data science. It's going to be fun. And before we start, I just wanted to mention how cool it was, how we met. So Colin, you sent me a message on LinkedIn, right? A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. What was it about? Uh, it was about your machine learning A to Z course on Udemy. I, uh, I, I enrolled in it and started taking it and uh, found it really amazing. It really uh, has helped me uh, answer a lot of uh, my kind of outstanding questions as to why data scientists are doing certain things certain ways. I mean, I'm, I'm st still sort of a novice, still learning, and uh, I've been reading some books, but I find that the books tend to tell you how to do th something, but they don't really explain why. And uh, I really wanted to reach out to you guys and tell you what a great job you did at, at answering those kind of questions for me as you guided us through uh, some great examples on, on how, to, how to create algorithms and machine learning code. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colin. It means a lot. And um, I was actually referring to how it was so cool reading a message. Like you mentioned you taking the machine learning course and then you said that you demonstrated the KNN &N visualization of, uh, our, of your step tracking data and your PhD candidate came running, uh, who's running the program, came up to you and asked how the hell you learned to do that. That was yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's right. No, it was a great feeling, you know, right away. I'm already getting, uh, you know, people kind of like bewildered by, uh, you know, and I just pulled up uh, Spider 3 and just showed them the code and started running some different sample data sets and visualizing the data. And, you know, they were skeptical about if we we're going to use it because my example wasn't really good. It was just one that I had a simple data set for. It was like people's steps baseline to their age, um, but it was pretty much you know, taking your template and putting my data in and uh, showing some different cool ways to figure out the outliers. And, and uh, yeah, people were, were kind of, uh, I don't think they think, I don't think they knew that I knew anything about data science yet. You know, I, I'm a data <laughs> engineer there. So they were kind of like, this kid can do data science now all of a sudden. That's, that's different, you know. <laughs> that is so cool. It's, it's always amazing to see to hear these stories of like you know you learn the knowledge from the course and you don't don't only just keep it to yourself but you apply it in practice and you start you know, impressing people impacting lives changing the way businesses run so it's, it's always great to hear so thank you so much for sharing that story it was fantastic sure. and uh, yeah. so when i saw that and then i looked through a profile i was like i gotta get colin on the podcast we haven't had anybody speak about databases in depth yet so it will be great to listen to this podcast i think for our listeners and uh, like we we do have for those listening to us we i just want to outline that we have a challenge ahead of us with colin today to present to you databases in the, in the light that you want to hear it. Because there is so many ways that databases can be used. There's uh, databases that are used just in organizations to keep them running because you know that databases are all over the place. We all use IT, all organizations need databases. There's databases that are used to create applications and uh, maintain uh, these customer records and so on. There's um, databases that are created for analytics purposes. And those are probably that we're most interested in. There's um, there's also the side of databases on how to query them, not how to create them, but how to query them, how to interact with them and things like that. And that's something we're also interested in. So uh, throughout this podcast, you'll probably hear us venture into either of those sides. Uh, so take as much as you can from the things that uh, we're discussing. And probably you'll hear a bit more that is not directly related to your role, but at the same time, it'll be handy. So to start us off, Colin, where did you start? So what is your background in terms of uh, education? What did you study back in school? Uh, I studied computer programming at college, mm -hmm. at Humber College. And yeah, I, I was already uh, taking some programming courses in you know grade school and starting to do my own programming and build websites and things. And uh, I was really fascinated by it. So went to went to college for it and 
yeah, that I mean, other than certifications, that's that's the only real studying like uh, post secondary that I've done. Okay, and what what kind of programming language did you f- uh, focus on in uh, your uh, college education? Yeah, there there wasn't really one focus. I mean, they really tried to give you a, a handful of different types of of programming language syntax to hit the job market with. So there's a lot of courses on Java and there's all sorts of other stuff. SQL, COBOL, you know, some new and old languages. They yeah, I think their their aim was to have a hands-on approach. So you can go through university and decide to do everything in C at a lot of universities and and that it's just whatever you you write your your code in. It's you know a lot a lot about doing essays about code as much as it is about doing codes. Whereas yeah. at this college, it was very much like they they don't just want to get you hands on experience so that you're coming into the job market ready to code with the you know a few a few knowledge of a few languages in your under your belt. Yeah, that, that's that's a very very valid approach because you don't know what you'll need in the future. And like a lot, I've got an interesting question. A lot of uh, the time, people take some education in college, and then they find that by the time they're out in the market, and especially like five years down the track, it's all become obsolete. The the world's moved on, and you got to relearn these things. Or if you haven't been keeping up to date, do you find the same with programming? Do you find that the languages have that you learned that have, they have changed so much that a lot of the knowledge you learned in programming is no longer uh, useful and you have to relearn things. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's still object oriented programming languages in use all over the world, but you know, we see new, uh, styles and new, and new frameworks popping up all the time. I mean, almost all the startups that I've been with in the last few years are now onto like MVC style programming. What's that? And well, model view controller basically, Mm. or, a variable of it like with python i think some people call it mvt because it's not quite mvc which i don't even remember what that stands for <laughs> but you know it's 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 hard to say that things change that that much but i think it's good when they change because you know no one's made this perfect uh, all around all encompassing uh, framework for everyone to use yet everyone has its own perks and its own disadvantages so, you know, now we're getting into everyone saying uh, microservices until uh, they'll sing it from the rooftops right now. And then uh, as long as they don't have to administrate it, because 100 <laughs> microservices can be a lot harder than, than administrating one stack. But one stack can also be hard to keep adding to until it's a behemoth. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's such an interesting world that there is all these different styles of programming popping up as as fast as the blogs can talk about them. Yeah, true, true. And I, I completely agree that new styles are coming up and it's a good thing, you know, like we can see the world evolving. But at the same time, I also I can resonate that sentiment that programming is one of those things that is is more or less kind of like a constant, that once you learn it, it's uh, the world doesn't move that fast like in other professions where you can't keep up. Like your skills are going to be not a hundred percent relevant all the time, but they won't drop below eighty percent within you know twenty or thirty years. It's still everything you learn is very very adaptable and very easily refreshable to get to the uh, peak of or to the forefront of uh, what's been used in the industry. So programming is always a good skill to learn if any of our listeners are still um, selecting what to pick for university. If you have a if you're interested in programming, I think it's a good idea to get into it. And um, so, okay, uh, you started with programming. And how did you get into databases? Because that's a bit of a different field from programming. Yeah, well, a lot of the first uh, companies I worked at, we were building database-driven web applications and uh, internal applications. And I was just really fascinated with how... how uh, you know, things were working from databases and then we could also go in and make reports and and see how people are using the the site just through this magical data store that just has all, all this information. So I really, uh, I was always constantly, you know, challenging myself to code better in that layer and and uh, learn more about it. And, and I just started to 
started to see that there's tons of jobs that of just spe- specializing in the database. So I became a lot more interested in uh, what goes on in the database and, and less about, you know, front end programming, like I'm going to write this seven lines of JavaScript uh, for every popular browser out there right now. I was really not interested in that side of programming, <laughs> but making things work in browsers and making them do fancy uh, visual tricks was uh, definitely not something I like to spend time on, crunching huge amounts of data and coming up with facts that the company actually wants to know. I found a lot more rewarding. Okay, fantastic. And uh, so what was your first job in uh, as a database, uh, like related to databases? So my first job title with database in it was database developer, and that was at Skype. Um, the, the they, were, they were building a database development team. I was basically the fourth person, you know, other than the team lead and 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 two or three other programmers that had come over from the application team. Um, and we just started building the team, and the the whole drive behind that was that they were going to employ something called horizontal partitioning, which is it's basically like table partitioning. But rather than partitioning the table in the database, you're actually partitioning it across many different servers. So one chunk of each of the tables is going to be in one node of the database, which is a, you know, a commodity server. The problem they were having is everything was getting into these huge databases with huge amounts of, um, you know, hardware being thrown at them. And they were still, once they're supporting millions of people, they were not seeing that they would be able to keep doing their online transaction uh, database this way. So they designed uh, horizontal partitioning, or I'm not sure if they quite designed it, but they kind of worked with Postgres on it. Part of doing that is that you're better off writing all of your uh, important data handling code in the database. So we started writing database functions and database schema that could be deployed over these partitions um, and all sorts of other you know, Python-based uh, jobs to help move data between different sources and, uh, and keep things uh, updated and relevant. And that was the job. I mean, it was a, it was a great opportunity, and to see the way that that we were using Postgres and you know Skype. Skype also developed Sky Tools, which had some first attempts at tools like replication and things like that, and and uh, um, bouncing connections and all sorts of other uh, little little libraries that they were building, and and people were actually using it in the industry a lot. So it was really cool to be part of a company that wasn't just using they were actually making things that the community were adopting yeah that's that's i can totally see how uh that's a very lucrative part of the job because i've heard that for instance in google and in other huge companies oftentimes code is developed and ideas are developed but then they never see the light of day like 80 percent of the projects that developed in some of these companies they they never go out into the world because you know they end up being these pilot projects that never uh, get um, get a good uptake, and uh, a lot of the time people sit there their whole careers creating code for things that um, never goes out there and becomes used, and it must be not fulfilling to be doing that. And you mentioned quite a lot of things, so I just wanted to uh, like take a pause here and uh, ask you a few questions. So, partitioning what what is partitioning? So table partitioning would be basically rather than having one table, you make a, as many different copies of the same table as you want and you distribute the, distribute the data over them. So this is advantageous if you have a table that has a lot of data and uh, you know that some queries will come in that will probably only actually need a certain chunk of the data, whether you are partitioning it by a uh, time base or just groups of IDs or geography based. Maybe you have one table for your Asian customers and another table for your American customers. You know, there's, there's any kind of way that you want to partition that you think would be advantageous. Yep. Gotcha. So yeah. t- to kind of like make it, make a few tables that are smaller in size and easier to query. 
yeah, this way, rather than having one big table with three big indexes, you can have 16 small tables with, you know, a hundred <laughs> smaller indexes or whatever. I'm not going to do quick math for you. I don't want to impress yeah. anyone too much. Gotcha. And um, <laughs> you mentioned also Python-based jobs. What are jobs and uh, what what does that term mean? Uh, yeah, database? I guess I, I, meant, I meant more like... Uh, you know, different queues. So basically, uh, we would have some data that needs to go from one database to another. Yeah, we would build a queue table, and it would have a row in it with a message. And I think in this case, we would just pretty much put the SQL statement into a text field that needed to be executed on the destination. Yep. So you'd have the this, uh, you know, you basically have just configurations of these different queue consumers and publications that needed to be moved around and yep. we'd have things written in Python that, that, that went in and moved them. Uh, we did a lot of scripting in Python. Uh, we built stuff that did the handled our, our code releases and our deployments and stuff as well. We we're, we're very, very happy with Python. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, and like we discussed before the podcast that you're taking the machine learning course in Python as well, because obviously you have so much more experience. And so like after Skype, you moved on and you've done a couple of roles. So we're not going to go into detail on all of them, but I really want to read them out because there's like such a portfolio of companies. So uh, you've worked at eWinery Solutions, you've worked at Send Me Inc., uh, you worked as a database consultant, you worked at Adobo Limited, at Coins, at um, Think Research, at 500 Pixels, and finally now you're at Carrot Insights. So out of all of those roles, like, we told what we talked about in your Skype role is more related to developing these databases, maintaining them, and um, like creating this infrastructure. Out of those following roles, could you point out some of the examples where you could uh, share with us how the databases that you created or you maintained, or maybe even uh, through your assistance, how these databases were actually used for analytics and data science? Uh, sure. I mean. A lot of these uh, roles, well, all of the roles are really with startups. So, mm -hmm. you know, even if I was coming in as a database administrator, it would end up being a lot more of, you know, an architect and yeah, building those kind of data pipelines. You know, the, the, the most relevant example I have is where I'm working right now. I'm, I, I've built a data pipeline for analytics that was basically, uh, I guess you can call it lo like centralized logging or log streaming. It goes by more than one name, but basically taking all of the access logs from the nodes of the application, like it's written in nodes. So basically it's running on five or seven different servers at any time. So grabbing the log file of each of those servers and bringing them into one database and one table and using that information to show active users. So rather than, you know, the database table that's for the application doesn't necessarily get up, get uh, updated every time someone logs in or does a certain action or hits a certain endpoint. So what's great about centralized logging is you have a real-time analytical view of exactly how people are using your app and you can do it for um, performance of your, of your new version. You can see if you're getting more, you know, 401 errors on certain endpoints or if people are hitting one endpoint more than you thought they would have or more than they ever used to you can raise any kind of red flags and, and discover if something is is not operating properly in your application or just if maybe someone you know did an email push with an incorrect link or anything like that can be yeah. easily diagnosed when you have a real-time view of your logs it can save companies big time, especially when there's scammers out there and there's all sorts of fraud and stuff that you can detect just by seeing a burst in activity. That's interesting. And so um, you created a pipeline to um, bring these logs to sites so people can uh, analyze them. Do you, um, Did you do any analytics around those logs? Were there any visualizations created or how do people go about analyzing logs? Because as I imagine, it's just rows yeah. and rows of information. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so actually, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't mind giving a bit of a breakdown of all the technologies, and then I'll tell you the analysis part. Yep, um, sounds good. 
So basically, uh, the logs on each of the servers uh, can be handled with. Uh, so we're on on Amazon AWS, Amazon Web Services, uh, and there's a service called CloudWatch. So you have a CloudWatch agent that you install whenever one of these boxes is built, and it watches the log and it ships it into Amazon. From there, I built a Lambda function that basically, anytime there's information, it grabs that data and executes a Python function, of course, a Python function, <laughs> and uh, puts it into the, the the table that it's supposed to go into. Um, from there, I set up a another server with a program called Redash, which is a very simple kind of uh, query visualization tool. So from there, I built all sorts of graphs and counters for monthly active users, daily active users, you know, like analysis from last active, uh, last active users over the last half hour compared to the half hour before, and anything that, they, that the, the business side thinks of, of, of any kind of, you know, we have a step tracking app, so what cities are people stepping in the most right now? Um, uh, you know, all sorts of geographic step information um, and anything like that, anything that we think of, we, uh, we start playing in Redash until we have a, a visualization, whether it's just a, a vanity metric or whether it's something that's actually important for our board members and for proving our KPIs and, and uh, monitoring them as we grow. Okay. All right. So that's, that's very interesting. So you've got quite a few uh, elements to creating these, uh, reports and visualizations. And um, just for the benefit of listeners, because we talked about this before the podcast, but uh, we haven't touched on it during yet. Uh, you currently working for Car Carrot Insights and you mentioned steps. So what does Carrot Insights do and what are these steps that we're talking about? So at Carrot, we are basically a an application. So it runs on Android or, or Apple and we give out surveys that have to do with health uh, and wellness and uh, diseases and all sorts of, of public health information. Um, so we, we engage users uh, through that. And we also have a step tracking app, which you, t you activate it with your phone or with your Fitbit. Um, and we record your activity and we start to reward you for hitting your daily goals. So we'll take a benchmark of your first two weeks of activity and we'll say, okay, it looks like you get around 4,000 steps a day or 8,000 steps a day and there's your baseline. Hit that the first week and we'll give you goals. And then the next week we'll challenge you to do a few hundred more steps a week and we'll give you more incentive to take on even more uh, challenges over, over two-week periods and get more rewards. So the way the rewards work is it's linked in with your Aeroplan Air Miles or more rewards card, scene card, or Petra points. And I know that these programs probably don't mean much to you over in Australia, <laughs> but uh, in Canada, you know, these are, are pretty big rewards providers. So yeah. people aren't just doing it for their good health, they're also getting money out of it. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And so um, is this a Canada just local um, app or can anybody in the world download it? Right now, it's only local and it's actually only in two provinces that we've launched. So mm -hmm. uh, most of our uh, campaigns and stuff uh, are really big in BC right now, mm -hmm. but we've also uh, launched in Newfoundland. Um, okay. So, you know, we have uh, a lot of programs going on there and we are looking to launch in Ontario soon which is going to be, you know, huge for us because it will really expand our user base and uh we'll, we'll I'm sure that our 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 back end is going to be put through, you know, the best testing possible once we have all these hundreds of thousands of users signed up. Um, you know, we've been doing our best to optimize things as fast as we can to make sure that we're going to be able to handle this many users. Mm -hmm. It's pretty exciting. That's awesome. So there you go, guys. If you live in British Columbia, in Canada, or Newfoundland, or if uh, you're in Ontario where this app is coming soon, then look out for it. It's called Carrot Insights. Make sure to download it and try to crash Colin's servers. That's how <laughs> that does. <laughs> um, all right. So that's very interesting. And 
what you mentioned before, now it makes more sense uh, to our listeners, the whole uh, situation where you take uh, um, the data from your AWS, you go through a Python function, uh, then you go, um, you put another server via Red Dash and you do some analytics there. Uh, that makes sense to why it's important for this company to analyze how many people are using the app, if if there's like drop-offs in the logs or spikes, if, tra- if somebody trying to scam the app. Also look uh, taking care of the steps, understanding how many p- p- steps people are taking and doing all sorts of analytics around that. But it makes total sense why that's important. And um, so how about like some, uh, like you said, there was a uh, PhD on your team and that there's some uh, other people also doing analytics. So how do you interact as a database administrator or the data engineer for Carrot Insights? How do you interact with those people that are doing the, uh, the other people that are also doing analytics in your company? Uh, yeah, the, it's actually really interesting here because we, I've already been exposed to, you know, a few different big brains, big scientist brains uh, at this at this small little startup, which is which is great. Um, yeah, the the gentleman I, I was referring to is he's um, a PhD candidate, so he's doing his PhD, and a lot of the work that we're doing with the step tracking is contributing information to a paper that he's currently working on. Um, and another, another person in the office is also working with him and she's more of a full-time employee and, and she's also, um, helping gather all the analysis. So we kind of get together and, and say, okay, what, what do we need for this analysis? And we come up with, you know, a data, data mining exercise where we end up with, um, a huge kind of spreadsheet of, 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 you know, hundreds of users, thousands of users data um, broken down by day and showing, you know, which steps they got each day and if they've hit their daily goals or not. And, um, you know, giving them a good data source that they can go and actually, you know, prove the success or lack thereof of the program and show, uh, you know, you know, status quo. I I look up at, uh, Redash, and I see that there's 1,800 people online, like mm. maybe 3,300 people at once, and you know it's really remarkable the product that we have. That we can kind of, uh, we rarely have you know issues right now. So you know, knock on wood, it's it's really <laughs> cool that that many users can be supported by your mobile app, and and you are just gathering this this great data that we can get a lot of uh, ideas and and a lot of ways to help people from. Yeah. That's that's really that's really cool, and uh, I can I can imagine how that would feel that you guys are doing something so important and so huge, and also at the same time so quickly that other companies are sitting there in awe. And also, it was very interesting listening to you talk about uh, the people that you work with, because for me, and I'm I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, it's kind of like a reverse situation. Usually, I am the person talking to the database administrators to the database engineers uh, and architects and uh, asking for certain things, asking for uh, certain data. Whereas here now we're seeing your side of the story and uh, that's uh, it's a great insight. And while we're on that topic, so what would you say, uh, could you explain the difference? I've always found this fascinating and I think that uh, even uh, like I don't know for to the complete extent the difference between these what is the difference between a database administrator a database architect and a database engineer uh salary (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh it's funny because you know earlier in my career like other than database developer database administrator was just kind of you know, it seemed like the only title out there. And even I hired a, a one gentleman once and I, I loved his answer because I was like, you know, we're hiring as a database administrator, but it's obviously, it's a startup. We're, we're doing everything. We're doing engineering. We're architecting. We're not always just going to be, you know, optimizing uh, configuration and, and backups and, and uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of intense programming and stuff like that. So, I asked him, you know, what, 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 what do you think? I think that the job titles in databases need to upgrade. What do you think you'd like to be called if, you know, if you had the choice? And he said, uh, database master. Like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, that is a more encompassing term for what you're doing here because 
you know, we're going to be the architects and the engineers and the administrator. We're not going to just uh, do what's in our job description because startups, it's not like that. You know, you, you have to, uh, there's, it's good to have a process and good to have people that have ownership of certain things. But when, you know, doing something that week is, can be the difference of the company succeeding or not. You just roll up your sleeves and do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you, when you consider a database architect, I imagine someone who is concerned with building every detail of anything that handles data. So that's not just the database. It's anything that is moving data, any queue system, any ETL system, they are, you know, down to every column name and data type, they are interested in documenting and designing that to whatever level of detail that, that's appropriate for the project. Um, database administrator would be more someone that's concerned with the online access to the database um, and backups, recovery, disaster recovery. Um, testing your backups, making sure that jobs, like, again, I'm using the word jobs. So, you know, if you've got hunks of code that, that are running every night that uh, maybe calculate some transactions for finances or do some bug fixing on data that uh, for some reason no one ever fixed properly or something like that, that's what I mean by jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the administrators will automate a lot of their work so that they don't have to uh, do everything every day because it would be annoying to come and do the same thing all morning every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that that's a big part of that job, just uh, setting setting things up, automating them, and then monitoring them are big parts of that job. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as database developer, that's a lot more programming, like making SQL functions, iterative loops, and stored procedures and functions uh, that uh, handle the data, uh, arrange things, uh, aggregate things for data analysis, anything like that, I would consider a database developer. And they usually can also dig into code and figure out how things work. Um, know enough programming languages that they're, they're not even adverse to writing, you know, maybe some Python or some Ruby or something that, uh, they can put into the application to get things working the right way. Gotcha. And engineer? Uh, yeah, so engineer, again, is kind of like uh, an architect in a lot of ways. I mean, um, it's, yeah, I mean, every company would have a different thing between administrator mm -hmm. and engineer. It's kind of difficult to say, but I guess with engineer, it's more about leveraging the technology and the database to create things, whether they're programming or just you know, functions in the database that you can use to get data in the right place. Like, uh, you know, thinking of like foreign data wrappers or any other kind of data access that uh, would be need to, needed in the database. I'm sure things like that could be what a database engineer does. Um, yeah. And a lot of analysis. I mean, data engineers are usually what happens if you, uh, you know, it's kind of like the next step up from data analyst and, yep. and it's, you know, it's, it, again, every company is different. There's no real distinction here depending on who you talk to. But, um, you know, I, um, I would say that an engineer would, would really want to br help bring insights of, of how the company's doing to the business side or to the rest of the IT team or to whoever he works with. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So uh, the data engineer out of those four is kind of the, the person that's most on the uh, closest to data science, like the, on the verge between data science and databases. So you can you can either do some database work if you need to, or you can get some insights and run some uh, algorithms on those to uh, you know, derive some reports and some business intelligence from that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some people I've worked with, the, you know, they've described it as you know, they're the data scientists and they've got like 10 data engineers working. So anytime they say, I want this column there, or I want, I want to see the analysis like this, or build me this set of tables, then they just go off and hack at it until it's done. So, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, 
I think all of the all the job titles there are fairly interchangeable depending on the company. <laughs> yeah, totally. Got, yeah, I understand it, but it still was very helpful to get this overview of um, the different roles. So the titles might be different, and different companies might change around. But uh, there's four, at least four distinct roles that we just discussed: uh, administrator, architect, engineer, and developer. And uh, from what you explained, I I really got a good understanding of. Um, you know, like how the roles differ and, and why they differ. And so if I ever need to revise that, because I'm probably not going to remember, I'm going to just come back to this podcast and listen to this part. And I'll be like, oh, okay, cool. I remember now. Yeah, that's that's the different roles. And that's the person I need to talk to now. So that's very helpful. And uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is about the tools. So you mentioned lots of lots of different programming languages that you've studied and learned. Um, in terms of databases, there's kind of, Four main ones that uh, we know about and uh, that our listeners are probably uh, have probably encountered at least one of them in their experience with data science. And I wanted to get your thoughts on all four. So we've got, uh, to start off, we've got uh, Microsoft SQL Server. Then we've got Oracle uh, SQL. Then we've got uh, MySQL. And we've also got PostgreSQL. So there are the four. Um, what are your thoughts on them in terms of, uh, let's say, popularity, in terms of uh, which are the which is the best one, and in terms of the future of these languages? Okay, um, yeah, they're they're all kind of uh, like these are obviously the leaders of, of database technologies, and they're all kind of uh, in their own category almost. I mean. Postgres and MySQL are very similar, but they are more on the open source, um, you know, community distilled. Uh, although MySQL is not truly open source anymore, some would argue, um, since they 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 become owned. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Oracle, you've got more your enterprise. Like I consider them the kind of top level. You know, big companies are, are going to pay big bucks for Oracle because they're they basically invented databases. You know, they're the they're the one that's been around and they and they started doing this a long time ago and and making the first things that has become what we know as relational databases today. Um, and their their pricing is going to be on the higher side. So with MySQL and Postgres, you've got the advantage that it's as free as you want it to be. You know, you can go and install it and and get a database up and running in minutes and never pay a dollar for it. Whereas with Oracle, you're going to be paying a lot. And with uh, Microsoft SQL Server, it's it's more, uh, you know, medium to large businesses as far as what it supports and and who it aims to to charge. Um, Now, all of them can handle, you know, different types of databases, whether it's mm-hmm. OLTP or, you know, large distributed uh, data warehouses. Um, they, they, they've all been applied by different companies um, for different reasons. Um, as far as, you know, which one is the best, it's, it depends a lot on what, what your requirements are, what the company requires, what kind of support they require. You know, Postgres and MySQL, they don't offer you any kind of support as the as the product. Uh, maybe that's changing mm. with MySQL, actually. But, you know, you can still find other companies that um, support Postgres or in the case of Enterprise DB, they kind of support their own version of Postgres. They, they have access to make their own releases and uh, their own tools. Um, but then you've got um, other teams like um, Second Quadrant that, will support whatever you want to do in Postgres. And uh, I, I really like them. I've met the, uh, the, the guy who made that company, and he's a fascinating guy. Um, and if I were to pick one between the two for Postgres, that, that's who I would. Um, but obviously, with different support tiers on uh, SQL Server and, and Oracle, I mean, you can, you can pay them to do as much or as little as you want. But more importantly, you can have a of telephone number to pick up and call and and tell people what's going on and and come to a, a solution very quickly. Um, you know they'll they'll set up SLAs with you and you can get a high level of support from them. Okay, all right, gotcha. And um, before we had our chat, so that that was very helpful and uh, definitely 
good good overview of uh, the main differences between them. And before we had a chat, I always thought that MySQL was used only for or mostly for online online uh, websites and online solutions. Is that is that the case, or is MySQL also used as a database structure uh, inside companies for uh, ongoing operations? Um, well, I, I've seen it. Uh, I haven't actually seen it used much for you know database warehouses. Usually. Uh, um, yeah, usually I, I would tend to agree that the most times I see it is backing up a web application or some other kind of OLTP database, like online transaction processing. Um, as far as like OLAP, uh, which is online analytical processing, <laughs> um, you, you don't tend to see them chosen. Um, and you know, it could be the fact that it doesn't necessarily have a lot of BI functions built in, which I'm sure is changing because they all tend to compete with each other and keep up with each other. Um, but you know, I don't think that it's uh, restrictive. I think that you can definitely use it for anything you can use Postgres for. Uh, my first question would be, why would you? Uh, I just tend to like Postgres a lot more, and uh, um, I don't know. MySQL is uh, it's definitely a great quick database to set up, and that's why startups loved it because they could start building their product the same day they thought about it. Um, but Postgres is just as accessible now, and is is in my opinion far more sophisticated in in what it offers and what it can do, and the people that contribute to it. Um, so, yeah, that's. Um, I guess that's my answer to that question. I'm gotcha. not sure if I answered it very well. <laughs> no, no, that's that's a, that's a great answer. And, um, so we've kind of got a uh, like a two two sides of the coin or a dilemma here uh, when for somebody who's who's new to databases and who wants to get into the space of learning these languages. So we've got SQL Server and Oracle, which are used for mostly large organizations and I, I'll agree with you on that so I've been in, in some large organizations and uh, it's it's one or the other and most of the time I've had uh, to deal with SQL server and uh, large organizations do tend to gravitate to these two uh, just because it's like a legacy thing and uh, Postgres is only picking PostgreSQL is only picking up now uh, and also SQL server and Oracle they have their support at just head so there's always somebody to blame or somebody to sue if there's some if something goes wrong um, but at the same time, we've got PostgreSQL, who is like the kind of like the uh, black horse, who's uh, slowly uh, getting momentum, who is becoming more and more popular, especially in the startup space. So, based on the, that situation, what would you say is the best bet for somebody who wants to get into the space of SQL um, programming? Would they go for PostgreSQL and learn that? Or would they start by learning? SQL Server or Oracle? What's your recommendation? Well, I mean, I think that it depends on a lot on what you want to do. I mean, obviously not everyone will have a, a full, you know, all-encompassing kind of, this is exactly what, what my future in databases will be. But, you know, for example, if you're working in a bank and you want to get into that side more and you know that you'll always be working in a bank, then it might be better to look at uh, an Oracle or SQL Server because it's way more likely that they, they'll be operating, most operations will be on those databases. Whereas if you're more like looking at a side project, I want to build a web application, um, you know, something uh, quick and simple, then obviously Postgres and, and MySQL are a great place to start. Um, really, any of them are a great place to start because when it comes to SQL syntax and querying, it's all very similar. Um, you know, there's there's dis differences, distinct differences, and uh, reasons why each each language uh, chooses their own syntax. But um, you know, you can the the basics of this SQL structure can be pretty much almost line for line put into each database and still return something. So, um, yeah, as far as querying and, and things like that, I would say, um, 
it all depends on what you want to do with it. There's yep. no, there's no simple answer to that question. I can't just say Postgres, <laughs> even though most of the times that's what I'd say. Yep. Um, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Don't want to give the wrong advice. And that's fair enough. Exactly. So everybody should consider their situation. If, if you don't know what you're going to be doing with uh, SQL and you don't know what uh, organization you're going to be in, and this is com- completely equivalent for you, which one to start with, then maybe consider PostgreSQL. But otherwise, definitely do some research, understand what you will need. And it's, it's very um, you know, good to hear that you know, from somebody who's worked in, in, most, uh, in, in most of these languages for such a long time, uh, that the skills are transferable, that the syntax isn't that different. So which, wherever you start, you'll be able to jump uh, onto the other ship very, very easily. Um, and so that's, uh, that's some very good insights. I also appreciate a lot, uh, that you described the OLTP versus OLAP. That's, uh, some cool abbreviations that, uh, people should definitely know. And uh, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your, um, uh, personal experience in, uh, in this space and, and in the space of analytics and data science. So to start off with, what would you say is, uh, has been the biggest challenge for you? Uh, that you've ever had as um, in your roles as database administrator, engineer, and uh, through the analytics work you've done, what would you say is the biggest challenge that pops to mind at, uh, when you think about it? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I suppose that, um, you know, again, I can refer to my current uh, role as, uh, you know, I, I kind of came in the door and, Ask the person who hired me, you know, what, what are you looking to, to see from the data right now? What's the first thing that, you know, people are, are screaming for? And she told me, uh, monthly active users, we want to be able to see how we're doing and be able to report that to the board because it's a big metric for startups. And right now we don't have a reliable source. So that was my, uh, what began my foray into, building this data pipeline, uh, for centralized logging. Um, and it really was not anywhere close to as simple as I thought, you know, as simple as the blogs made it seem to be. Mm -hmm. Um, at first I was messing around with another service called Kinesis as part of it. And I don't know how much you've worked in Amazon web services, but the documentation, uh, tends to not really, uh, give you a lot of guidance. It's uh, very kind of simplistic. And so you have to kind of learn by doing and just go in and start playing with things. And it quickly turns into square peg round hole. Um, and you really, ha- then you have to kind of go back and figure out why something doesn't work. And, you know, with, with Kinesis and Lambda, it was just uh, weird things like, it, it, you know, one of them runs inside your, uh, your private cloud and one of them doesn't. So you need to have things able to access outside the cloud. And once you do that, you've got to build NATs and, and internet gateways. And it just started to become a real can of worms. So I realized after looking at it, you know, kind of stepping back and looking at my design again, that I could really just take the Kinesis step out even though all the examples and all the blogs were using Kinesis, I just kind of decided I'm just going to use a Lambda function. It's going to access my node and, and then ac- or access CloudWatch and then access my database. It doesn't really need anything else right now. And that's been working just fine. So, you know, any kind of project like that, you expect there to be a few bumps. But uh, when it came down to it, I mean, I built that in three weeks and you know, within my first month, they had monthly active users up on a television screen in the middle of the office. So it was a pretty good uh, result. And uh, I was glad to have the challenge and to build something I hadn't built before. You know, I asked some of the other programmers that had already been working on the on the stack for a long time. And they they knew what I was trying to do and why, but they, they were also just as, as confused. They're like, you know, I don't know how to how to architect these kind of things in the cloud. So I really had no no guidance from anyone that had already been working on it, but that was fine with me. So I'm I'm pretty stubborn. If I say <laughs> I'm gonna do something, I, I like to just keep trying at it in different ways until it's uh until it's built. Fantastic. And 
Well, I just got to say, wow, like you were, as you were talking through that, and I've, I think a lot of our listeners will find themselves in the same boat as me. So much of that stuff, stuff went like right over my head. And um, like, we just don't have the time to go into detail into all of that, but it just gave me a new perspective that how complex the job of a data engineer or data um, database uh, architect and administrator can be and all these uh, pipelines and clouds and um, all these processes that you set up. Yeah, so that's, uh, sometimes I feel that I'm very privileged to be able to be working with data and not having to know what's going on in the background. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And I was going to ask. Yeah, I, was I, I ask. apologize. You know, I know I, I I tend to just use the vernacular I'm used to, but yeah, absolutely. I could I could sit and talk for an hour on on just what I was talking about there. Yeah. But it's uh, it might be uh, not so interesting. Um, I I did have like uh, you know, we do these lunch and learns at the company, yeah. and one of them, you know, one other person was presenting, and so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll get up at the end and do something, and I got in front of the whiteboard and I just started drawing out our entire stack for people like the how the how the application and the mobile works a little bit because i don't know much about mobile but um and then all the way back to the data services that existed when i came in and the new ones that i'm building and so it ended up you know a full whiteboard with boxes and and lines and all sorts of confusing uh acronyms and stuff and i did this for the entire business well like most of the people that were there that day so 90 percent of the business And I was really amazed to see, like, they were really appreciative. And they, like you say, like, they also, you know, they don't realize, they didn't realize how much is going into this and how many different layers and aspects there is to it until you just get up and, and, you know, painstakingly draw it out for them. And, but they were so fascinated. They were like, we actually learned so much. Like they didn't, I, I felt like, they might be offended like because you're you know you're showing them so much and and just spitting jargon at them but no they were so appreciative and they really like to uh to see how how things look under the hood you know and how how things operate and know that next time they ask us something they actually have a bit more insight of to what they're actually asking so they don't take it so hard when you say no or maybe <laughs> yeah yeah totally and it's uh it's been this this whole episode of the podcast has been a great like glimpse into the world of databases and what's going on in the back around there in in these organizations and whenever like we're querying the databases and getting information out of them so it's uh, it's been a a huge uh like eye opener and it's been like a pleasure just talking about it and just like even sometimes like you say i i, I like a lot of things i don't know in depth and um, they are new to me, but it's good to know that they're there. It's it's good to see what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for, for all the insights. It's been wonderful. A quick uh, question I have is um, where from where you're standing, where do you think the field of uh, data is going? So wh- where do you think the world will be in five to 10 years from now in terms of how data is used, how data is stored, data is all over the place yeah i mean uh <laughs> it's funny because right now is a very uh trying time for data data everyone's been oh big data big data and now all you see is like big data has failed the pre- presidential election <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the all these headlines that are like is big data really worth anything now you know everyone's questioning it because you know, so many things got things totally wrong in the election. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it is with big data. Big data can do certain things amazing and other things it's never going to, you know, it's going to guess as long as people are predictable or as long as certain things operate certain ways. Uh, you know, there's ton like, you know, with machine learning models, you've got to readdress your model all the time. Mm-hmm. Your product changes, your people change, everything changes. Um, as far as where it's going, I think, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to see already, like how much quicker companies can go through the steps of data maturity and know what to expect of their data and what the data team can bring to the company. Um, you know, years ago, there's so many things that I build now that I wouldn't have even thought of building because no one is asking for it and our competitors weren't doing it. 
now people see the cool things that you can do with big data. And even if they don't understand it, they want it, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have so much more chances to, to build stuff and to get into stuff like machine learning and, and, uh, and prediction. Um, uh, but you know, you, you can't predict before you're doing the first basic analysis. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at in, in my company, but I'm still kind of showing them the light at the end of the tunnel by doing these cool little machine learning things. As far as data in general, I mean, it's, it's so hard to predict. I think that, uh, what we're already seeing is companies that trust their data instead of their gut are tending to succeed more. Mm -hmm. So this is no longer like a secret. So I think a lot of companies will start to put a lot more concentration into how accurately they gather and, uh, their data integrity and also their data analysis. Um, and it can lead to great things. Uh, I was just talking to an Uber driver yesterday. He was asking what I do and, and he's interested in learning SQL. And I told him like, great. Cause you know, all I see now is data jobs. And five years ago, this was not the landscape. I mean, it was hard to find a job in Postgres. Yep. Now it's like, uh, I can find a job in 15 minutes and I can find a good one in a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I, I just see that it's gonna, it's gonna keep growing, uh, as it's been doing and it's going to keep shaping the way we think about the world, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I cannot agree more with you. Um, I was just speaking with, uh, Rachel yesterday and, uh, uh shout out to Rachel who is, uh, is the lady that, uh, transcribes our podcast. So thank you very much, Rachel. Appreciate you a lot. I was just talking yesterday and, uh, she said that looking for a job in finance in banking, you know, in, uh, credit scoring and uh, creating models for for banks. Uh, now, after you know, like um, a like a couple of years, like you say, it wasn't the case. But now you need to know SQL. It's it's on the job description, you know, for for a bank for to be able to create uh, these different models. And uh, so you know, she's also learning SQL, and uh, it's it's very interesting how the world is going very rapidly into this space of everybody has to know data and how to deal with databases. And um, yeah, so thank you very much for coming on the podcast. This brings us to the end of today's chat. Um, if our listeners would like to follow you and contact you or maybe follow your career and see what you're up to, um, where can they find you? LinkedIn is the best. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yep. We'll include a uh, link to your LinkedIn profile on the show notes. And uh, one final question, what is your one favorite book that can help our listeners uh, become better with dealing with data? So as far as data science, I really liked um, doing data science, mm -hmm. which is uh, it's written by uh, two bright young women. Uh, and they're very funny and have great stories and use cases. So I, I enjoyed reading it. I, I didn't get quite to the whole thing, but... It's mainly because there's so much content and examples. I was just, you know, trying to do it at the same rate that I was uh, learning it. So um, definitely worthy investment in that book. Um, as far as Postgres, there is another one. Uh, uh, it's called something like High Performance Postgres, something mm -hmm. about performance Postgres. And if you're interested in that database, then and as far as being an administrator or a programmer, that thing gives you so many tips. It's unbelievable as to how to configure your database and anything around the database. So um, for your data analysts that, that, that are out there, that's a good one. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Will. We'll include that in the show notes. So doing data science and high performance Postgres, and we'll include the exact titles and links in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. And uh, thank you so much, Colin. It was a pleasure having you here. I definitely learned so many new things and got this glimpse into the world of databases. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Very valuable insights from Colin. And for me, definitely the most valuable part was just the general overview of what is the world of databases. Because as data scientists, we don't often think about that side of data. We just take it for granted that data is there, that the data is coming uh, to us, that we can 
access it when we need it. But as you can tell from this podcast, so much work and effort goes into keeping all of that database infrastructure alive and running. So at least, at the very least, this episode uh, should give you a much better appreciation for the work that these people do, that database administrators, architects, engineers, and developers do for us. And maybe, maybe even it sparked some interest in you to go and explore the world of databases more. So hopefully that is the case. And if you'd like to get the show notes, the transcript, and all of the links from this episode, then go to www.superdatascience.com 17. Also there, you'll be able to click on uh, Colin's LinkedIn and follow him there and bombard him with questions about databases if you still have any that have not been answered. And on that note, I'm going to end today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook. So find the Super Data Science Facebook page and hit like and show us that you do enjoy these podcasts. And I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, happy analyzing. Happy analyzing.